Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by Jeanette Linford. Good afternoon, Jeanette. Afternoon, Pete. Great oh, to be here. Well, I say sorry. I should say morning for you because we're both we're both morning time. Yes. So, <laughs> where are you dialing in from today? Well, I'm over in sunny Mallorca. I'm very lucky to be over here for a couple of months. Yeah. Well, I said so. You, you have a split life, do you, between the UK and Mallorca? Uh, not not directly, actually. I mean, I live in London with uh, my partner, Chris, but uh, because our businesses are set up in a certain way, we can pretty much London wherever we want to be. So we just thought, actually, why not have a you know, bit of time over here? We were going here, coming here for a month originally, and then we've extended it a couple of times, so they didn't quite fancy uh, going back to quarantine. So, um, yeah, we're just running the businesses from over here. So, yeah, it's cool. Well, that's that's like the, the dream lifestyle, isn't it? You know, people people aspire for what you have. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to visualise it, haven't you, and then make it happen. It hasn't always been like that, Pete, trust me. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, tell us, Jeanette, who are you, what are you doing, where are you from? Great stuff. So, uh, so yes, I'm Jeanette Linfoot. You can probably tell from my dulcet tones that I'm a northerner. I'm from Manchester, born and bred. Um, so, yeah, I, I uh, started out life up north, uh, the youngest of three daughters, um, very sort of normal working class family, if you like. Um, you know, my mum and dad, house full of love, didn't have a lot of money, but my mum actually reassured me that was because she actually spent most of the money on giving us great childhood and experiences, which included a caravan in the Lake District and a, a couple of overseas holidays. So we, we weren't too hard, we weren't too hard done by, let's put it that way, but very much a great sort of work ethic for my parents, if you like. So, so yes, grew up in Manchester, um, Went to university in Leeds, uh, the only one in my family to go to university. So that was quite an interesting time for me. I did an economics degree. Um, mm. Does that make you the smartest in the family? Well, you know, I think it was, well, it was back then when they were just uh, competing against probably two sisters, although they're both smart in their own way. I was the more academic one, let's put it that way. But no, my nieces and nephews, they're, uh, they're, pretty, they're pretty smart now. So I think I've been overtaken by my eldest nephew and uh, my, my eldest niece as well. <laughs> oh, fabulous. I love yeah. it. What, what sort of background did your mother and father? Oh, so, well, yeah, again, they both were from Manchester originally. Mm -hmm. My dad was actually born in Moss Side, which is um, a very, well, now it was quite a rough, really rough part uh, of Manchester. But back then it was sort of, you know, typical Coronation Street type area. You know, everyone would sit on their front porch, you know, because there was only a backyard and have a cup of tea and gossip with the neighbours and you could leave the door open. But yeah, so my dad, my dad uh, was a plumber. Um, my dad passed away eight years ago. So gosh, I miss him terribly, actually, even now every day, you know, I always think about my dad. Uh, but yeah, he was a plumber, worked for the gas board uh, for many years. And then my mum, she was a secretary, but she was very entrepreneurial, my mum. You know, so I remember growing up as a kid and, you know, my mum would sort of have a, 
she'd say, oh, I'm just going to have a, I'm just going to go in and get a market stall. So you know, I remember w- working on the market with my mum and, and then she went and bought a hardware store. Didn't tell my dad, just went and bought it because she was, <laughs> you know, she was kind of like that. Um, so, so my mum was always quite entrepreneurial actually. Uh, and she, my mum's still, still alive. She's 83 and doing really well. So it's fantastic. But yeah, I was, I was taught from a very young age, you know, work hard, um, treat people with respect you know those sort of really, really strong values um, stay with me uh, and still still to this day really I was I had a happy childhood that's for sure so who do you take after then I'm a bit of both actually oh, yeah. yeah a bit of both I would say my dad was very much an extrovert you know he'd be the first on to the karaoke that kind of thing you know embarrassing dad dancing lots of that going on so I'm I, from being out there, I'm probably a bit a bit more like my dad uh, in terms of being sort of quite extrovert, but probably more like my mum on in terms of business and you know that kind of things. I would say so. I can see both of them in me. Lovely. So you were like the perfect third child, and they stopped at you. <laughs> I don't know if I was the perfect, but I think it was an accident, Pete, actually. But, you know, here I, there I was. So, you know, I'm here now. You've got to put up with me. But, um, yeah. You were, no, you were I, destined. You were meant to happen. <laughs> I was. I definitely um, had the easier ride compared to my elder sisters. That's for sure. I think my mum and dad were quite chilled out by the time I came along. So, yeah. <laughs> we're going to get you in real trouble with your sisters here. You know, so, <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Well, I think it's about following a passion. And you know when you really feel something and it, it literally, that, you know, it, it's in your guts. And I think it's being tenacious. It's around following your dreams. It's about having a passion for something and, and having the drive, determination and focus to, to follow that dream and to... You know, whatever, whether that's in a personal scenario or business or life, you know, I think that fire in the belly where you're, you're excited, you're nervous, you're, you know, you're kind of full of potential. For me, it's, it's, there's a lot of things in there, but it's, it's all around passion, energy and making things happen, I would say. And is that something you feel you have? In bucket loads. Seriously, I'm really lucky because I guess I've always loved what I've done. You know, Um, I mean, of course you have good days and bad days, don't you, in in business and in life. But generally speaking, I've always followed a path that I've really enjoyed and I, I really find it's congruent with my values, you know. So I was 25 years in the travel industry, which is a fantastic industry. And, you know, in the travel industry, you, you work incredibly hard. You will not find a more difficult trading business than a, than a travel business because the margins are so thin. But by God, it's a lot of fun. You meet some incredible characters, but it's not a nine to five. You know, you, you are traveling a lot. You know, so the lines between your personal life and your work life are very blurred. Um, mm. But it's an industry that, you know, I mean, who doesn't like holidays? You're, you're changing people's lives, you know, um, literally. And, of course, you're giving a huge amount back to local economies. It's global. You know, you're affected by every single thing that you can think of from a macroeconomic perspective. So it's incredibly challenging, but it's an industry that I absolutely love. So I spent most of my career in the travel industry for that reason. And then what I'm doing now, you know, I'm absolutely adoring the property business we have, the mentoring that I do with my mentee clients I genuinely care um, and I'm really enjoying you know that I still work in the travel industry on mergers and acquisitions but again I work with really cool people that have um, aligned values I guess really is important so 
Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I think I live and breathe the fire in the belly. I'm quite feisty as well, you know, so I, uh, in a good way, not in a fighting way. <laughs> I would never have guessed you that, honestly. It's like, so hit us with that shopping list of what you do there. So we have property business, we have a mentor business, we have uh, the travel consultant, what do you call it? Advisory, yeah, mergers and acquisitions, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's quite um, a collection. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know what? I love the variety and the freedom and the flexibility. You know, and I came out of the corporate world about two years ago, just over. And um, in my last role, I was the CEO of the travel division for Saga, which is a, a big organization. I had four businesses, you know, so I mean, at the turnover I was responsible for then was sort of about 370 million. You know, we used to make 25 million EBITDA, 1,700 people on the team. You know, so it was quite a big, a big corporate role. And when I came out, um, I just wanted to take a bit of time to decide what I was going to do, really. And sort of the, the, what happened was I started getting approached a lot by private equity houses because in my previous role, when I was at two years managing director of the emerging markets, where I ran businesses, all that, ran and bought businesses in Russia, China, India, all sorts of places, um, I'd done a lot of M&A, mergers and acquisitions. So when I came out of the corporate, a lot of private equity clients you know, approached me and said, listen, we're looking at buying business A, business B. Yeah. Would you work with us on the deal? Um, and because I've run businesses, I know what good looks like in, in that space. So that sort of was the first business, if you like, that I set up on my own outside of the corporate world. But it was sort of an adjacency. It was a natural transition, if you, if you like. Sure. Um, so I still do that now. Um, but on top of that, I now have our property business, my mentoring business, and my podcast, which I've recently launched, as you, as you know, Pete. So, Give yeah. us a shout out, the podcast name. So it's Brave, Bold, Brilliant. That's the podcast. And it's all about how we've all got greatness within us and we can all achieve our full potential. But in order to do so, you do have to be brave and push yourself out there. You, you need to make an impact and, and be bold in what you do. And of course, when the stars align, you know, everything's brilliant. But it is quite an interesting collection because I'm sort of fascinated by you know, this interplay between corporate and entrepreneurial as mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, so the idea is that the podcast is I'll be interviewing interesting um, people who are at the top of their game. And it's almost from the corporate boardroom tables of big international businesses where obviously I have a lot of my network and contacts and that's the world I was in to the, you know, the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, which is kind of where I'm closer to now and everything in between. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's cool. I'm enjoying it. Really good. Sounds like it's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you then to to get talking to all these people and find out their their passions. Yeah, you know, I mean, it is it is genuinely because I'm just fascinated by how you know how people overcome challenges, how they create opportunities. What are the sort of the mindset that that helps people get to those positions? You know, how do you approach failure? So I'm just genuinely interested and fascinated by the whole topic, really. And you know, when you talk to someone, very often, well, you'll know yourself from the, from your podcast. You, you bring things come out that that probably would never ever be sort of aired, if you like, or discussed, and that's really fascinating. And ultimately, that's helping other people who are listening because, you know, people go, gosh, I never knew that. Or, oh, I suffer from that. Yeah, that makes sense now. Or, oh, I've never thought of that for my business. That's a great idea. I'm going to apply that to, to my world, you know. So I think it genuinely helps people to be able to listen to a range of different experiences. 
Yeah. Well, absolutely. I think that's, you know, it, it is cathartic in the process as well. And as you say, it's sharing ideas and visions and goals. You know, it's, it's, it really seems to help. So, yeah, so take us right back then. Young Jeanette, what were we looking at? <laughs> okay, so you were looking at, you were looking at um, the youngest of three. Mm-hmm. So I guess really when I look back, um, you know, to my childhood, I had an incredibly happy childhood, you know, for sure. My mum and dad were, were brilliant. But, you know, I guess I was always the, the little one, you know, jumping up going, look at me, I want the attention, you know. So I'd be the, the first on the dance floor, on the, you know, and all that kind of stuff, almost sort of a bit of a show-off, I suppose, really. Um, quite a tomboy as well, you know, I'd be climbing trees and doing God knows what. So I was always sort of a happy kid, I think, really. Always quite out there and, you know, really enjoyed enjoyed time with my um, my sisters because of the age difference though so i my middle sister andrea she's five years older than me but my elder sister allison is eight years older than me so you know if you think about it by the time you know my elder sister met her husband quite young so sort of by the time she was 16 you know she was sort of off out dating and all the rest of it and i was i was eight you know mm. so i guess i had quite a period of time where I was not exactly an only child, but I had a lot of time with my mum and dad, I guess, on my own because my elder sisters were off doing their things as as you are when you've got an age difference. So that was quite nice because it did mean that I got sort of quite special time with mum and dad on my own as well. Um, so, yeah, so it was it was cool. But, uh, yeah, I just have very happy memories of, of being a kid, really. Uh, lots of fun, lots of energy. We had a caravan up in the Lake District when we were kids, you know, from me being about four. Um, so lots of fun times, walking and things like that, you know. Uh, so it's good. Yeah, life was life was nice for me as a kid. It sounds like the Lake District was a bit of a go-to spot for you guys, was it? Well, it was because it's not that far from Manchester. And mm. my mum, my, I think my mum would have liked to have moved to the Lake District, uh, but my dad never wanted to do that. I think he probably just... He liked to visit, but not to live, you know. And, and if yeah. you, you know, if you live it out, and if you're a, if you're a bit of a city person, which I think you know, my dad was, and I am as well, actually. Um, it's beautiful to go to, to somewhere like the lakes, but it's not necessarily a place where you'd want to kind of grow up, you know. I think there was lots of lots of kids on recreational drugs up there because we were so bored living in some tiny little village with nothing going on. Good fun, you know. So it's like an hour drive from Manchester so yeah you know most weekends we'd be we'd be up there but of course when my mum and dad bought a caravan way back then you know there wasn't even any electricity in the little village where it was so it was all gas mantles and no running water you know so it was all it was like posh camping really I suppose <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it yeah so come here how was how was school for you then yeah, interesting actually. Yeah, you know, I'm a bit of a geek. I was always a bit of a girly swat. So I liked school. You know, I really, I, my, I never had to be nagged to do my homework by my mum and dad. You know, I always, and maybe that comes from the wanting, you know, to, to do well and get the approval and, you know, well done kind of thing. But I enjoyed school. Um, you know, and I, I remember, well, in, in Manchester, they still have what's called, you know, the 11 plus. Mm. where, you know, at 11, you take um, an exam. And if you pass, you go to the grammar school. And if you fail, you go to the local comprehensive. Um, so so I passed, um, I, as did my elder sister, but my middle sister didn't actually. So she went to the local camp comp and uh, myself and my elder sister went to the grammar school. And uh, yeah, so I, I was, I was I, I guess, reasonably academic and, and um, I didn't find school difficult from, from a sort of a work point of view. 
And, you know, I mean, even now I've still got friends of mine from school who are still my best friends today, you know, from sort of being the age of 11. And I think that says a lot, you know, that I worked hard, but I also had a really nice group of friends, you know, and in particular as a teenager growing up in Manchester, you know, at that time, the whole Manchester music scene was exploding, you know, so the Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, Inspiral Carp, it's all, the, you know, the Smiths. I mean, it was a real hotbed of musical talent. And at that time, I'd have been 15, 16, you know, so starting going out to pubs and stuff, which obviously, yeah, mm-hmm. thinking, not good. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of it, get off into Manchester to go clubbing on a Friday night or to go to the Hacienda, which was like the club to go to. So it was a great time, you know, it was a, it was a really fun time. Uh, and as I say, some of my, my friends, you know, from my being 11, but then age 14, the boys joined the girls' grammar school. So they amalgamated the two grammar schools. So the boys arrived, much greater anticipation and excitement from the girls. And then all these spotty, smelly boys turned up, you know, it was a bit disappointed after that. <laughs> But some of those spotty, smelly boys are still some of my best friends today. <laughs> so, so we had a really good group of friends, you know. Um, yeah, it was cool. I enjoyed school. I enjoyed school. It was fun. What, was, what was your go-to subjects then? Well, I sort of mass economics. I loved economics yeah. um, and actually ended up doing my degree in economics. So I, I guess I was numerous, but I loved English literature. You know, I did English literature at A-level, you know, got, got, got three A's in my A-level. So I was, as I say, I was a bit of a girly geek. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say I was probably more airing, even at an early age, towards more maths and economics. Science wasn't really my, my thing, you know, that, that just didn't rock my boat at all. Um, so it was more, more English, maths economics, statistics, that kind of kind of area. Yeah. Do you know why? What sort of led it that way? Um, I don't know. Really. I, th- I think I was probably just quite good at it. You know, I like the creativeness of, of English, you know, and the sort of the inspiration um, of sort of, I don't know, reading Shakespeare or whatever, you know, whatever the novel you were, you were studying. To Kill a Mockingbird, I think, was a go-to, wasn't it? There, back mm. there, stuff like that. Um, so I quite like the creativeness of that. But then I, I guess I like the, the groundedness of numbers and business. And I just had a great economics teacher, Mr. Watkins. It's funny, isn't it, when you look back and think about people that have influenced you in your life, mentors or coaches or whatever. And he was probably an early, an early mentor in a way. You know, so I, I liked him as a teacher. Mm. I was quite good at languages as well, actually. I did French and Spanish. Um, and I got A's at GCSE and all that. But... I've, I've not kept up my languages. That's one of my regrets, actually. But, um, yeah, I think I just liked the teacher, liked the subject, was quite good at it, and therefore just continued down that vein. Um, and I think there's a few lessons in there, isn't it? You know, people, I'll always say, try and do something you love, because you're probably quite good at it, if you like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's very true, because you get the response, don't you? You know, you sort of, you're good at it, you, you do well, you're happy with that, and, and so the, it, it continues to spiral on. Yeah, and you build momentum, don't you? I think it, it does tend to sort of snowball, as you say. You know, and, and actually, for me, you know, when I went to uni and I did my economics degree, uh, which I came out with the first, I was very pleased with that. Um, but I didn't really know what... I knew I wanted to go into business, but I didn't really know what. And it was general enough to kind of be applied quite well. Um, and, and it certainly stood me in good stead. You know, I mean, my first job, actually, out of university was as a, as a government economist, 
in Whitehall. So I actually worked in the government economic service for a couple of years, advising ministers on pensions policy of all things. Um, but I jumped out of that into travel because I don't think the, the grey suits of the car, uh, cardigans of the civil service weren't really congruent with my personality, shall we say. <laughs> I've just offended anyone that's listening that works in the civil service. It's a great, it's a great career, honestly. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, I think the civil service is either for you or it's not, you know, and I think anyone of the, of the entrepreneur blood in them, I think it's probably just to exit them out the back door as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it was a good start. It was a good first job. But when okay. I graduated in 93, you know, there's a big recession on and mm. I remember, Oh my gosh, applying for hundreds of jobs, not just a few, hundreds. And even though I had a great degree, you know, I just wasn't getting any, I wasn't getting any proper jobs. And I remember moving back to Manchester very briefly after uni. And, um, you know, you just do what you do, you need to do to make some money, don't you? You know, so I mean, I remember I was waitress in an Old Trafford cricket ground. I was working in a bar um, I had another restaurant job waitressing. I used to deliver the post at Kellogg's in the office, you know, with a little trolley, go around delivering the post. I was wiping tables in Debenhams. You know, I just had all these, like, shitty little jobs. Um, but I never wanted to be – I knew my parents had had to make sacrifices, you know, financially for me to be able to go to university. Mm. Um, and being the only one that did, I kind of felt that weight of responsibility, you know. So there was no way I was going to be going back home and then living off my – parents you know I did anything I could to earn some money um, and then eventually I got offered I got offered um, a job as I say in the government economic service down in Whitehall so I slightly reluctantly moved to London being a northerner I said I'll give it two years two three years max 25 years later I'm still I'm still in London <laughs> oh, I love it so, <laughs> yeah. take us back. so what, what was the first job then and how much were you paid oh the first my first job was working in a chip shop but it had a calf as well. It was a chip shop, but it had like a cafe bit to it. And okay. I got paid £8 a day. And I would, on a Saturday, I would start at oh, sort of 8 in the morning and I'd finish at 7. And I got £8, £8 a day. And I got in there because my dad <laughs> played snooker <laughs> with the guy that owned the chippy. And my sister had worked there before me. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, uh, that was my first job. And uh, yeah, so I'd, at the end of the shift, you know, on a Saturday, I'd, you'd have the lovely nylon kind of dress and the tabard, you know, the apron over the top of it. And I'd get home, my God, the stink of, you know, chip fat. One spark, I'd have gone up like a Roman <laughs> candle, Pete, you know, seriously. <laughs> but it teaches you, you know, good lessons, doesn't it? You know, hard work, you just do what you need to do. And it was a lot of fun. You know, actually, looking back, it was a lot of fun because you'd get all the old boys coming in, you know, and they'd have their habit, you have your regulars, you have this little chat with them. And, you know, so it wasn't bad. It was quite a fun thing to do. And I didn't know any different, did I? You know, so for me, £8 was £8. I, I'll take it. <laughs> It's amazing. That's the thing, because those days you haven't a whole lot to spend it on. So you're like, well, God, you know, I'm going to be rich. You know, it's yeah. it's amazing. But I mean, you're you're sub sub a pound an hour. I can't I can't quite work it out. But you're yeah, yeah. eighty or ninety p an hour. So it's um. Not, but at the same time, as you say, the the morals and the ethics and the the environment and and the social interaction it teaches you so much. Yeah. But even my parents, you know, when we had pocket money, we never got it just for free. You know, mm. we had to do something, a pound a week. 
pocket money, you know, I'd normally have to do the ironing or clean the car or whatever it was, you know. Um, so, so yeah, that again, or we got an extra pound actually, because my dad used to uh, like give us a pound to go down to Woolworths to buy um, a seven inch record every week. So that was like a treat. So I really got two pounds in reality, but one was dedicated to a seven inch, um, seven inch vinyl. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You know, it's great experiences to go away and do that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> so then into university, so you went to Leeds University? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And, you know, I mean, just a a fabulous time. I mean, you know, I look back now and I I just think, gosh, you know, at that age, 18, you think you know it all, don't you? You know, you think you're so grown up and this, that and the other. And looking back, you think, oh, well, that's quite a big thing, really, isn't it, to to leave home at 18 and go off. And, you know, so obviously the academic side of it is great because you're learning and, you know, for me, I was I was I was doing something I enjoyed. You know, my choice of topic I loved, as I said, so that helped. I did economics and management studies actually, so I sort of had a broader business bit to it mm. as well. Um, but also, it's the first time you're managing your own money, really, isn't it? A budget. You know, you're away from home. You do you wash and all that kind of stuff. So I think it teaches you some really good life skills. Um, and again, you know, some of my best friends, you know, are, are friends that I made at university. Um, so it was a great, I definitely, definitely burnt the candle both ends. You know, I, <laughs> I worked hard, but I really played hard as well. Um, you know, so sometimes we'd be out, you know, I mean, you go, go clubbing like three or four nights a week. I mean, how does that even happen? If I, if I have a late night now, it takes me like a week to recover. <laughs> yeah. but, but back then you just got a lot more energy, haven't you? You know, you go out with your tenor, you know, and it's pound a pint. <laughs> So it was, yeah, it was great. And Leeds was a good fit for me because I could have gone to Oxford or Cambridge with my grades. I could have, I could have gone to one of those two universities and I looked at them. And I, and probably people would say, God, aren't you mad? Why did you not go to Oxford or Cambridge if you had the chance? But I just knew it wasn't the right fit for me. Yeah. You know, I, I just wouldn't have felt... Maybe this comes back to a bit of the old imposter syndrome, you know, sort of thinking that you're not good enough to be there and you don't fit in. So maybe there's, there was an element of that. But I chose Leeds because it was great for economics, actually, which is what I wanted to read. And I just really enjoyed the whole setup. You know, it felt much more real to me, mm. um, you know, moving from Manchester to Leeds, you know, two northern cities. Uh, so it was perfect, absolutely perfect. So I don't regret my choice at all. And actually, when I joined the economics government economic service when i went down to whitehall 80 percent of the intake were oxbridge you know and there i was with my northern accent and i'd done my my degree from leeds you know and there was nothing wrong with that but in my head i was sort of i, I guess i had a bit of those wobbles of oh gosh you know everyone else is oxbridge and i i didn't i went to leeds even though i came out with the first um, so I guess that must have influenced my choice, Pete, in the early days, actually mm. thinking about what's the right fit for me. And I made the right choice. I absolutely made the right decision um, because it brought the best out in me, you know, that environment. I'll never know what the alternative would have been had I gone to Oxford or Cambridge, of course. But actually, I, I don't have any regrets, not for a second. Um, so that's, that's what you want, isn't it? You don't want to have too many regrets in life, do you, really? <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I mean, it's it's incredibly wise for you to do what you wanted to do as opposed to, you know, the, the dumb thing is, well, you have an opening to go to these universities, then of course you must, you know, and you're like, mm. well, that doesn't necessarily make it right. 
you know and i was i was curious you know because you were saying there do, do you get a bit of you know from, do, do, you, do you get something out of slightly being the underdog that you sort of fight your corner yeah. a bit yeah probably actually i've not thought of it that way but yes yeah i think you're right you know and, and certainly i think when i moved down south you know and everyone talked with quite a posh accent i thought they were really posh and it would almost make me be more northern <laughs> just stubborn you know <laughs> so maybe maybe there's an element of you know northern girl done good um that i, I, I kind of somehow feels quite uh, a sense of justice around it maybe sense of fairness you know that no matter what your background is no matter what your you know um family situation or financial position has been that everyone deserves a chance everyone can follow their dreams so it's probably linked to that a sense of fairness and justice Mm. Uh, and that's something that I think you know I guess that's also a theme in, in my podcast around you know if you look at some very successful people in business life you know arts whatever field a lot of them come from quite humble beginnings and have really created something quite amazing and special. No, it's not always that way, you know, and, and neither is better or worse, it's just different. But I think you have maybe a more quite a grounded perspective when you are a bit of the underdog because you have had to work hard. Things haven't been given to you. It hasn't been easy. You have had to sort of challenge yourself probably in a different way than if you come from a more affluent background. I'm, as I say, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but that's just my experience. Mm. And I think that's helped me. And it's also helped me, I think, be empathetic, more empathetic with people. You know, I think I can adapt my style more because as you got a bit older with a bit of experience, you, you learn how to present yourself in a way that's slightly more formalised, shall we say. You know, if you're presenting to, I don't know, business case of the board or, you know, I'm talking to a government minister or whatever it is, like, over time you can p- position yourself in the correct way, way to communicate. But if you come from more humble beginnings, I think you can also have an affinity with the cleaner or with whoever's the pot washer in the kitchen and you can have a, you know, a good rapport. And that's helped me, I would say, in my life in business, being able to kind of span the whole spectrum of, of people because now everyone's got value, haven't they? Everyone deserves respect. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably, yeah, maybe I like being the underdog. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting because even, as you say, some people really need the contrast as, as a comparison for them. You're saying, here's where I came from or here's where I could be. Here's yeah. where I am today. And for some, the lower the, lower the low, that equals the higher the high, you know, and it, it's actually one spurs the other. Um, yeah. And I wasn't low of low. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, we, I had a great childhood and, you know, we had a very good, you know, my parents worked hard. We weren't on the breadline by any stretch, but we didn't come from money. You know, we didn't have a lot spare. And as I, my mum said the other day to me, actually, she said, gosh, you know, I'm listening to some of the podcasts and you kind of, people are going to think that we were really poor and we didn't have anything. I'm saying, well, no, mum, that's not the case. But relatively to other people, we, we probably... We probably were relatively, but my mum's mum says to me, "Yes, but Jeanette, when you and when your dad and I worked hard, which they absolutely did. I mean, gosh, grafters, both of them. You know, she said we had to decide: do we save the money we earn, and we had our own house and everything, you know, so we always had had a house and stuff, or do we spend it?" And she said, "And I spoke to your dad a few times, and he said let's let's make great memories for for the girls." 
And I thought that was lovely, you know, because it's a different perspective, isn't it? Um, but she was obviously concerned that maybe she she thought I was presenting us as some kind of <laughs> terrible, terrible family that didn't look after the kids. But it's not that case at all, you know. So I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly very lucky starting life. <laughs> I love that, and and it's even. I mean, what's what's come clear very quickly, and is you just have a hunger and a thirst and a drive in you, you know, no matter what, you know. And is that is that just something you've always had? Yeah, I think I think so, and it and it probably comes from what you know. I think it does it, it does come from childhood and, and your upbringing. I think the the work ethic was definitely instilled in me from my parents for sure, and I think the. The idea that you can achieve anything probably came from my mum, you know, because she was quite brave with a lot of the things that she did, you know, even though her main job was a secretary, you know, the fact that she, you know, she went and just went and bought a a hardware shop just because she wanted to do it is quite unusual, you know, back then. You know, my mum was, um, still is actually, she was a great violinist. So when my mum met my dad, she was in an orchestra. And so she travelled all over the country and stuff playing in the orchestra. So she's quite feisty, my mum, you know, in, in a way. But she's very quiet, so quietly spoken. You know, you wouldn't think that that she was that that sort of um, fire in the belly type person, but she absolutely is. So I think I learned a lot of that, you know, you can achieve anything you want, actually, if you set your mind to it, comes from her. And I guess the third aspect was this, I suppose, needing to be loved and approved of and, you know, the recognition, good girl, good girl, you've done well, you've got an A again, you know, and I think that has definitely sort of drove me on. But the key, there's a flip side to that because, I mean, a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome and I think it's a common thing. You know, it's something that I explore a lot with my mentee clients, actually. But I think you have to recognise where it comes from because it can be debilitating if you let that take over you know, you can find that sometimes it could hold you back. It can stop you from, from taking the right course of action because your insecurities kick in and you just have to kind of observe that, understand where it comes from and go, actually, I am good enough. I am good at what I do. I deserve a, a, you know, a place at the table. I can do this and just reframe it a little bit. And I think that's what I've worked quite hard on over the years. You know, I'm very proud of where I'm from. I understand where some of these feelings come from and why I, I react the way that I do for my in my gut sometimes. But your gut isn't always right if it's coming from the wrong motivation, you know. <laughs> so it's just trying to get that right balance. But, um, but yeah, those are definitely factors, I think, that have spurred me on to be successful, to always give it a go. Don't, don't worry too much. Just try your best and see what happens. Yeah. It is always a fine line, isn't it? Especially through teenage years and all that, that you get praised for doing something well or, you know, yeah. passing or, but yeah, there's a fine line, not tipping it over that actually, you know, I must do this. And, and as you say, then you, you just create a, an impossible target for yourself. Mm, yeah. And, and I think it's important to celebrate the wins along the way, isn't it? And that's mm. something that I've not been great at, I have to say, over the years. Chris, my other half, is always saying, you know, it's great to, it's great that you're ambitious. It's great you're always pushing on to be better and do more and be a better person and build the business, but enjoy the ride as well. Don't miss the journey. Um, so I, it's something that I'm getting better at, um, but I still have to work at it because my natural, my natural drive is mm. what next, what next? Okay, I've done that, move on, what's next? And actually, it's important to just celebrate, even if it's a small wins, just sit there with a 
cup of tea and a ginger nut, you know, say I've had a good day today. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be the big, big things. It can be the small triumphs. Um, so, yeah, I've had to work at that because my natural drive is push on, push on. Mm. Do you take time out for gratitude, for goals, for, for self-reflecting? You know, I'm not yeah, sure. yeah, I do, I do actually, and but again, that's probably something that I would say I've done more since I've probably been in my forties. Um, I think in my earlier career, I was quite ambitious, and I always knew I wanted and roughly where I wanted to go. But you're so busy in the moment and taking the opportunities and building your career and climbing the ladder, whatever you know, whatever it is. I don't think I sat down and had a life plan when I was in my twenties. I know I didn't. And I probably didn't really in my 30s. I was more in the moment. And yes, I'd sort of have a next goal in mind. I didn't really say, well, why am I here? What's my purpose? What legacy do I want to leave? Whereas those are questions that I definitely asked myself a lot more in the last five years, I would say. So, yeah, I try very hard at some point of every day, in the morning in particular, just to have a bit of time in silence you know, think about what it is that I'm really aiming for. And then spend a bit of time visualising that. I'm all, I always have a plan, always have a business plan. But you don't always have a life plan, do you? So it's important mm. for both, I think. <laughs> can, yeah. can I ask what age you are? I'm 48. Yeah. What are you, and it's interesting as you were saying even in the last five years you've sort of taken time out. So early 40s, you, you've just, it seems, it's shifted gear. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, in my early 40s, I'd become, well, died then, I was already. So I was a managing director of the emerging markets for TUI. So I, you know, bought, ran businesses, travel businesses in Russia, um, India, China, Brazil. So I had a big international team. I reported directly into the group CEO of, of TUI, a gentleman called Peter Long. But I was very often, or not always, but very often, the either the only woman in the boardroom or one of two with a profit and loss account. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's the difference. Like being on the hook for the numbers and running a business in its entirety. So you know I was I was full on. Yeah, I was absolutely full on. I mean I, I could be away 50% of the time. You know, my commute, my weekly commute sometimes would be to Beijing. I'd leave on a Monday morning I do a 12-hour flight, eight-hour time difference, and I come back on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, and I had my team in Beijing, and, I'd, and then you know, the following week I'd go into Delhi, or I'd then be flying out to Sao Paulo. So I spent a lot of time away, um, so I was full on. Um, and, and you know, I'd, I'd worked hard to get to that position, you know, of being the MD of a big business, and international with cultural diversity, a lot happening. And it's high energy, high paced quite exhausting. Um, and then I left to and I joined Saga where I was a CEO. Again, a full, full business is so quite a scale business. So you're on the hook for, you know, all of the operational day-to-day trading, deliver the numbers, as well as, you know, shaping the future, the strategy, etc. So it's quite intense. And when you're in those intense moments, you quite honestly, you probably don't really give yourself enough space and time to think mm-hmm. about what do you want longer term as an individual? So it was only really when I came out of that corporate life um, where I just thought, actually, I just want to take a bit of time. You know, so I did a lot of traveling. Chris and I, gosh, I think that first year, so 2018, this would be. Um, and I think we were away for seven months of the year. 
you know, we don't have kids, so it's 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 easy for us to do that. But we, you know, we went to Thailand for a month. We then went backpacking around South America, proper backpacking for three months. Uh, we went diving in the Philippines for a month. You know, it was a fabulous year. Um, and then I was still doing some work on the uh, mergers and acquisitions side throughout that year. But it was really giving myself some headspace and time that I then thought, actually, this is what I want now in this next phase. You know, I want more flexibility in my life. I, I want to have my own businesses. Uh, I want to probably be a bit more entrepreneurial. I want to have multiple streams of income. I want to be able to decide, okay, let's uh, stay in Mallorca for another month if we want, you know. So to, to create that was quite a shift, you know, from being in a, in a big corporate organization where you are, you've got massive responsibility and you were in the spotlight. You know, you really are, especially when it's a li- all those businesses are listed. So, you know, if you're in a FTSE 100 or a FTSE 250 business, you know, I would be on, you know, presenting to the the investors, the city, essentially, mm-hmm. the analysts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different, different animal completely. Not, not, not worse, just different. And I had a great time in my career, but I'm really enjoying the variety and the flexibility. And I think if anyone has an opportunity at whatever point of their life, to just step back, reflect, and think about what you want next and what's important long-term. What do you want written on your gravestone? You know, these are some quite big questions that you never think about when you're in your, you know, 20s, 30s. You just don't. Rarely, anyway, I never did. So, yeah, so it's quite nice to sort of give yourself that headspace, I think. Mm. It's, yeah. do, do you, did you thrive in that sort of, you know, very corporate environment and, were you in your sweet spot or were you slightly overperforming? Um, no, I, I thrived, yeah. I enjoyed it. I liked the energy. Um, yeah. And I, I think I also, big <laughs> coming back to the stubbornness, <laughs> I also, I knew I had the capability, even though I'd have the odd wobble and imposter syndrome, oh, I'm a good yeah. enough, I'm a good Deep down, I wanted to be a strong female business leader in a large corporate organization because I'd only known corporate but I, I've seen so few role models Pete you know there are there are women in very senior roles but it's shamefully low you know the FTSE 100 companies there are six female CEOs six percent it's it's crazy you know really so I, I have got a bit of a bugbear about that because I just think it's not about men or women being better or worse. You know, it isn't a man bashing thing yeah. at all, but it's about saying we, we are different, but we bring different things to the party. And there's absolutely no reason whether you're female, gay, straight, black, white, that you shouldn't be able to be in a very senior role in any organization, you know, so that again, it comes back to the probably that sense of fairness as well. Yeah. So I guess for me in my corporate life, I always had that aspiration to sort of be up there, to be a role model for other women, to deliver a great job for the business, to do the right thing for the customers and my team. So because all of that, and it was an industry I loved, you know, and I still love, so, you know, I was in, I was in the, the perfect space at the perfect time. Hmm. Um, but now I'm, I'm in a different place, which I'm equally enjoying. It's sure. just different. Um, you know, and in your mid-40s, I think you become a lot more aware of your mortality and thinking, you know, Chris is 10 years older than me as well. Not that, you know, that's a, that's a factor because there's a 
pretty young, <laughs> young, young mentally um, and physically as well. But it is a factor. Of course it is, because you, you know you've still got the energy, still got the fire in the belly, coming back mm-hmm. to the, the podcast, but you're conscious that the next 10 to 20 years are kind of pretty, you know, you're not going to necessarily have the same energy in your 70s as you have in your 50s. Mm. Um, you're not necessarily going to want to do that stuff. So there's sort of a period, a sweet spot, I think, of your sort of mid-40s, almost to sort of 60, where I think it's the perfect time mm. to do whatever in life you want to do because you've got the life experience, you've got the business experience, you're much more comfortable in your own shoes, you know what you want, you know? So so actually, I think it's it, these are the halcyon, halcyon time for me. Mm. But I loved my corporate life. I loved the people I worked with. But was it tough? God, yes. Were that? Did everything go right? No, of course it didn't. Did I learn a lot? Yes, stacks, you know. But uh, I feel very proud that I. I think I left my mark in a in a good way, you know. And I still got you know lots of friends in the industry. I've got a great network, you know. And and um, I think I treat people in the way that I like to be treated myself. Um, business, so. Yeah, all of that you take with you, don't you? You don't, you don't lose it all. You just, you just evolve into whatever's next. Um, so yeah, I, it was cool. I enjoyed it. What was your style as a as a manager, or as you know, and your your work ethic? Um, I would. I mean, it, it sounds a bit cliche to be honest. What I'll say now, but firm, firm but fair. You know, I mean, I would always. I I'm big on um, honest, and it sounds obvious this stuff, but. I don't like political game playing. Hmm. You can get a lot of that in, in the corporate world. You just can. Well, in any organisation, actually, not just corporate, any organisation. There's always politics everywhere, isn't there? Sure. Yeah, that's normal. But I don't like game playing. I don't like, you know, people manoeuvring behind the background and sort of saying one thing and doing something, being disingenuous. So for me, I'm a very straight person. What you see is what you get with me. I'm high energy. I, I love what I do. I always want to aim for the moon, you know, always. So I'm, I'm demanding. I expect a lot of my teams, um, but I'm very fair, you know, and I will always support. I would never ask anyone on my team to do anything that I either haven't already done myself or that I'm prepared to do now, you know. So, so I'm not up there as a, you know, sort of sitting in an ivory tower, um, but I expect a lot. I am quite quite demanding on on standards and and everyone giving their best. We can't always win, but at least try. Give it your best. And and I very much like sort of positive minded people that will come up with solutions. You know, I don't want to hear the ten reasons why it's not possible. Just give me two or three ideas that we can actually make it work. You know. So I'm, I'm very much around fairness, but I'm, I'm, I do expect quite a lot as well because I expect a lot of myself. That's probably where that comes from, you know? Mm. But by default, are you, uh, are you a spender or a saver? Where do you sit? Oh, Ooh, that's a good question. I would say historically I was probably a saver, which I think comes from, from probably family backgrounds, you know, make sure mm. you have, a, have, have, have something put away for a rainy day. I think now I'm I'm much more an investor to create wealth and then enjoy the spoils of that wealth. You know what I mean? What's the point? What's the point in having, you know, being the richest person in the cemetery? But you've got to get the balance, haven't you, now? So I so I would say I'm I've probably I, I definitely I'm much more of an investor than a saver. You know? 
uh, how can you put your capital to good use to create passive income or future um, you know, growth in key result areas, all that kind of stuff, or new businesses. But do enjoy it as well. Spend a bit. Don't spend it all. <laughs> I was going to say the, the economics degrees is bound. To, it's 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 where it sits with all that. You know, it's yeah. You know, that's uh, it's it's always interesting to see you know people's risk profile. Yeah, but I'm I'm all about um, I suppose putting capital to good use mm. to create growth. I'm a growth person. You know, at all the businesses that I've been have either been turnaround transformation or it's been expanded into new international markets or it's been mergers and acquisitions you know i'm all about growth you know even in my corporate life i was never one just to tick over you know just to sort of that's just not me and i guess that comes from the ambition the drive and always wanting to do better to be the best we can be and then to do that you have to invest as well you can't do it just on a shoestring you know so it's just trying to get that right balance isn't it I mean, then overall, would you say, are you pain-driven or pleasure-driven? Ooh, I'm probably pleasure-driven. Yeah, I'm probably pleasure-driven. But it's a difficult question, Pete. Well, no, it's interesting because, you know, as you say, you, you enjoy the challenge. You know, it's, 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 the, uh, it's, it's the firefighter. You yeah, know, it's, you, come, you come into the challenge, so... I was, I was, maybe I, was, I am more pain driven. Maybe I am. I'm a bit sadistic, actually. And, you know, I'm always on to the next thing. But I think, I think you know, it's, it's neither one or the other, is it? You know, I would probably historically be more pain driven thinking hmm. about it. You know, I'd always be pushing, you know, what next? What, what next? And I'm still doing that. But as I've got a bit older and a bit wiser, um, I also think it's important to enjoy the journey. It's important to celebrate the wins. You know, I'm not frivolous. I'm not out there, you know, spending loads of money. Spend a bit, you know, and also be kind to the people around you. You know, I like to, I like to give, you know, I, I get no greater pleasure than, you know, buying my, my nieces and nephews something or helping them, you know, if they're struggling in a certain way. I, I like to give um, whenever I can. You know, I do a lot for charity. So, yeah. So no, maybe maybe helping others is it, and it's not spending in a traditional way. Yeah, interesting. Though, never, never thought of that. Who's your Who's your go-to on charities? Um, I do a lot for cancer research um, uh, and motor neuron disease. Unfortunately, I lost one of my really good friends uh, to motor neuron disease two years ago. My friend, one of my best friends from school, she was only forty-six. You know, mm. so it's, it's a horrible, horrible disease. But yeah, cancer, motor neuron disease, and uh, Alzheimer's stroke dementia because I think those those areas are well one is a personal aspect to, to me with the motor neuron disease but then I just think dementia Alzheimer's is such a horrific disease that actually affects so many people and you know it's a really high proportion that of people in the future are likely to suffer with that so those are probably my three my three go-tos mm. yeah. And in terms of legacy, are you are you at that stage in your life where you 
Well, yeah, the legacy, the legacy for me is, is I've got, my sisters have been very fertile. So whilst I don't have children, uh, Chris and I don't have children, my sisters kept that side of, you know, the genetic line very, very well sorted. Thank you very much. So I'm a, I'm a brilliant auntie. I love being an auntie. I adore, I adore my niece and nephew. So I've got five nephews, two nieces, two great nephews and a great niece. So I'm, I'm cracking on, right? Um, so yeah, for me, the legacy is because we don't have a, you know, a part of what building the property business is one to create a lifestyle that's, that's going to be great for Chris and I, but it's also to leave something for the my nieces and nephews. Mm. You know? um, so that's the legacy for me. And it took me a while to sort of think about that because, you know, and, and this might resonate to some of the listeners, maybe women that don't have children, um, because the natural thing, when, when someone says to you, what's your legacy, for, for people that have children, it's obviously their kids. Mm. And if you don't have kids, it, it can sometimes make them, oh, my God, you know, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Because I'm not, I'm not continuing the family in the, you know, in the way that my sisters did. But for me, so the legacy is my nieces and nephews. But then the other side of that is I firmly believe and I've got to think about uh, every woman and girl being able to fulfill their potential um, because I think there's so many you know seven over seven billion people in this world half of them are women but if you look at certain areas of society or developing countries you know women that don't have the same opportunities even in the western world i mean we're talking about you know being on the board and and things like that you know as a woman it it can be more tricky and this isn't where is us but i think my long-term legacy as well as well as the family side of things would be to help as many women achieve their potential in life as as possible so i've got a long-term vision where and it's just an idea at the moment I'd love to longer to be able to afford to have some kind of foundation which almost connects business women in the Western world with small cottage industries in developing countries, whether that's in Africa or Asia, um, because then you're helping the source, you know, and I did something, a development program when I was at TUI actually, and I went out to Thailand, there was about 10 of us went. And part of it was a leadership development program, but the other side of it was helping a local business on the ground. Mm. Um, and this business, the one that I went into, made banana products. Okay, it was a tiny little village. There were about 200 people in the village, no running water, no school, you know, no kids didn't have shoes. They lived in, in wooden shacks, right, in this place. But the, the leader, the female leader, of the village had a banana business and they made banana chips, banana cake, um, you know, handbags out of banana, you know, dried banana skins and this kind of, and honestly, it was one of the most meaningful things that I have done because to help her, you know, and how she could bring her product to market, you know, to, to bring more money in that therefore meant they could get running water in that village and it just stayed with me. So I guess I've got this sort of idea in my mind about how cool would that be to, to do something like that, that globally makes more of an impact and how fulfilling is someone from the Western world to be able to, to do that. So it's a, it's a real win-win, you know, on both sides. So I guess that's the, 
the other side of the legacy that I've got in my mind. It's, it's longer term, though, Pete, obviously, but it's there as an idea at the moment. Absolutely. Well, listen, that's what it's all about. You know, your C-type go and put it out there, you know. Uh, just leaping back a bit, I mean, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned 6% of, you know, female CEOs are in exact positions. Yeah. What's, what's your take on that? Why, why has that happened or why is that case? Well, that's, I mean, that's in FTSE 100 companies. So those are in the big listed companies. Um, you know, and what you tend to find in, in the entrepreneurial world, it's different. The numbers are different. There are more mm. women. <clears throat> you know, in the property world where we are, you tend to find quite a lot more um, female property investors because it fits around flexibility of kind of, you know, childcare, et cetera, right? But in the corporate world, I mean, there's, there's never just one thing going on. And there are certain organizations that are fantastic at it, but it comes down to a couple of things, I think. One, um, the sort of the, the practical policies and things that the business necessarily doesn't have it as a strategic agenda. And, and it shouldn't be, I'm not a big believer in quotas and things like that. I think it should be the best person for the job, genuinely. However, you, you have to feed the pipeline, you know, and if mm. what tends to happen, I mean, it's certainly in the travel industry, it's very, you know, the you know, travel industry is 65% female. Because if you think about the sector, you know, you've got travel agents that tend to be more, more female. You've got cabin crew, you know, tend to be more female. So as a proportion at, at lower levels, it's a much higher female industry, actually. But then it drops off a cliff when it gets to sort of middle management and then it drop, continues to drop off a cliff, you know, senior management, director, and then CEO. So, and, and the reason really is, is a couple of things. One, I think the policies don't, aren't necessarily conducive, you know, so they don't have flexible working necessarily. They don't allow things like job share, mm. um, you know, travel, you need to travel. So there's a sort of a, you know, an inherent, uh, it's more difficult, isn't it, for women if you've got childcare arrangements to all of a sudden have to be away for two weeks, you know, where you're, you're going doing business in whichever part of the world. So that is just sort of, you can't really do a lot about that, to be honest, that aspect. Um, and then, but I also think there's a, it's a lack of role models, you know. So if all, if when you look at any organisation, whatever, in whatever sector, if all you see are white middle class, no disrespect, white middle class men. So if you're a woman, if you're black, if you're gay, you know, all the different diversity aspects of society are not represented, right? So then you think, well, hang on a minute, I can't see anyone that looks like me. I don't know that this is possible for me in this organization. So, but then you, you have to build the pipeline, you know, you have to have policies, recruitment policies, um, career development plans, targets, if, you know, if that's the thing that you want. I'm, as I say, I'm not a big believer in quotas, but you can have other metrics that, that show that you're on track. Um, you know, and I think it takes time, um, and role models play a really big part. I think having it as a strategic a, a, a agenda, and it's proven diverse boards financially perform significantly better than non-diverse boards. So this isn't just about, oh, it's a nice thing to do and, oh, let's, let's, let's you know, do, well, do right by the women. Aren't we good? This is actually a commercial choice, and that's what it should be. It should be a business decision. So there's a whole bunch of factors. And then I think there's, there's things that women don't help themselves if we're talking about gender diversity. You know, sometimes, you know, our mindset's not set. You know, men and women think differently. You know, it's again, there's so many studies on this, Pete. I could go on for hours, but, you know, a woman would look at a job description 
and there might be say 20 30 percent that maybe she's not had direct experience of and she won't even apply you know she'll go oh, i can't she'll look at that bit the gap and go whereas a guy i'm stereotyping a bit but a guy will look at it and go oh well, i can do 70 percent of it i'll just give it a go i'm not worried about the 30 percent. i'll apply anyway so men tend to hold their hand up and keep their hand up until they get noticed. <laughs> you know, and things like going in to negotiate your package and remuneration, tends, men tend to be better at it than women. I'm not, I am generalising. It's not, it's not always the case, but it's more of a natural skill. So women have to sort of learn to be a bit stronger in some of those areas or to support each other as well. And the organisation needs to be more empathetic to that. You know, so it's, it's a fascinating area. But as I say, commercially, it's proven diverse boards perform better. Businesses that have diverse boards. And, you know, and that's not just um, gender, any diversity. You know, I mean, EasyJet's a great example, actually, because EasyJet, you know, if you think about um, captains, very aviation, very, very male-dominated sector anyway in terms of aviation. Um, pilots in particular, you know, I mean, a few years ago, you'd be... God, with 98% men, uh, whereas EasyJet, they made a strategic decision to say, no, we want to attract female pilots. And they set a target, I think it was 20% by 2020, and they started at something like 4%, probably five, six years ago. So they made a conscious decision, and they've, they've, they've overachieved that target now because it was a strategic priority. It was set at the board. It was backed by the CEO. And they had a whole bunch of initiatives to, to achieve that. And how great is that? Because one, female pilots are just as good as male pilots. They're great, um, do a great job. And it also means you're opening up a bigger talent pool. You know, because people go, women go, oh, God, yeah, that could be a career for me. But EasyJet going to schools and they talk to girls and boys that if you want to be a pilot, this could be a career choice for you. You know, so it's things like that that mm. make the difference, really, I would say. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've never walked around with a chip on my shoulder about it. It's something I'm passionate about. Mm. But I also kind of believe, you know, if you walk into a room thinking there's going to be a problem because you're a woman or whatever, because you're black or because you're gay or because whatever, there probably will be a problem because you've got it in your mind. Whereas if you just say, I'm going to do the best I can, I'm going to be congruent with my values, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, I'm going to deliver the results, I'm going to speak with honesty, integrity, and everything to do with that. And nine times out of ten, that will stand you in good stead, you know, and you'll do a good job and you'll be recognised for it. So it's a, it's, a, it's a complex area, isn't it? Talk to me about mindset. Say again, Pete? Talk to me about mindset. Oh, it's everything, isn't it? Absolutely everything. I, I'm, a, I'm a massive believer that you, if you work on the inside out, work on yourself, work on your mind, um, then the, it will be reflected in your outside results or life you know, tangibles in, in, in the outside um, part of your, of your world. So, you know, for me, I think it's around getting rid of the limiting self-beliefs whatever they are and I think it's you know it's proven isn't it I don't know if you ever come across Ryan Pinnock um but you know Ryan if you ever listen to any of his stuff and I think it's again it's baked in science this but you know your the way you respond as an adult is pretty much formed from the ages of zero to seven mm. um, and I, I do believe that. and that's not about having a good childhood a bad childhood it's just that 
those values that are quite entrenched in your or behaviours, maybe attitude to money, and money doesn't grow on trees, money doesn't buy you happiness. Well, how do you know? You haven't got any. <laughs> you know, but, but some of those perceptions are formed at very early age, aren't they? And they mm. stay with you. Um, and I think sometimes that's, sometimes that's great because those values can really drive you forward. You know, we're talking about me and the drive to want to succeed and be better has definitely helped me. That's been a positive in my life. But the imposter syndrome side of feeling not good enough, one, it can make you not feel great. It can hold you back and it can stop you in your tracks. So you have to be able to sort of recognize when is it useful and when is it debilitating and when am I actually limiting myself because of that mindset? Um, so I think mindset is at the heart of absolutely everything. It's, it's everything in life, not just in business, career, relationships. I mean, I, I see it time and time again, you know, where people don't have happy relationships, happy personal relationships. You know, they almost reject love. You know, and, and that's probably because they don't think they deserve to be loved. So therefore, they attract the kind of men or the kind of women to them, you know, that therefore are not going to give them love. You know, so it's, it, it's the whole big thing around if you believe, believe you, you're certain, a certain way, then you probably will be. You know, those who say they can and those who say they can't are both usually right. Um, I think that was Confucius, wasn't it? Or um, yeah. Confucius, yeah. Yeah, and I really believe that. And it's interesting because if I mean I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot, a lot of a lot of development books. I always get something out of those things because I'm very open minded. I always want to improve. I want to be a better version of myself. Um, you know, so if you listen to say Tony Robbins, I, I love Tony Robbins. I know he's a bit kind of out there, a bit American and stuff. And I, I never used to like him, but once I started listening to him a bit more, I thought, oh, I actually quite like this guy, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but he talks a lot about, you know, if you, whatever you tell yourself, you will become. You know, so if you say someone, someone's a smoker, oh, well, I'm a smoker. Oh, I've always smoked. I can't give up smoking. Oh, well, of course I am a smoker. They're trying, the chances are they're not going to give up smoking because they've told themselves they're a smoker. I'm a smoker, I'm a smoker. You know, so even at, even at that kind of level, whatever it is, or, you know, oh, I'm big boned, trying to lose weight. Oh, I'm big boned, but you know I'm big boned. No, you're just fat. <laughs> you, know, you know, so if you say to yourself, no, I am going to be fit and healthy and I am going to, you know, I am that person then you will become that person. So I'm a massive believer in the power of mindset. I think it's absolutely everything, to be honest. And it's probably something that, if you think about the education system, mm. it's not really talked about, is it? It's the same as, you know, financial education in schools is atrocious. We don't teach our kids how to manage money, how to budget or, or financial now. So that's just not taught, is it? You're taught pure maths and, you know, and there's a place for that. But there are certain life skills, I think, and, and probably how to deal with your mindset. I don't think I came across any of that stuff until I was probably in my 30s. And now I listen to those kind of things all the time because I recognize just how critical it is. And I, I, mean, I spend a lot of time with my mentee clients where I work with people on a one-to-one. And I tell you, nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, there is some mindset stuff going on. Very often imposter syndrome, all that kind of thing. Um, and it's yeah, it can be really debilitating, can't it? Um, but if you embrace it, you recognise it, and you work on it, um, then it, it you know it's it can be so powerful as well. I think. Absolutely, it's 
who's your, who's your go-to then in terms of, I mean, you mentioned Tony Robbins. Who else is sort of in the top of the charts for you? Um, I like, yeah, Tony Robbins is definitely up there. He's a bit of a guru, isn't he? Um, I like Mel Robbins as well. Mm-hmm. She's five second cool. rule. And, yeah. Yeah, five second. I mean, that's so simple, isn't it? I love it. Beautiful. You know, if, you, if you're suffering from any inactivity, for those that don't know, Mel Robbins um, has a very simple concept. I mean, there's a lot more to her than this. But essentially, if you're struggling to take action, whatever it might be, or make a decision, get out of bed in the morning is the classic one. You literally count backwards from five. You don't count upwards because you can keep counting upwards, but, you know, you go five, four, three, two, one, take a deep breath, get out of bed, galvanize or whatever it is, make a decision. But it's so useful, isn't it? Um, just like little tools. So I, I quite like Mel, Mel Robbins as well. She's really, she's really cool. But you just get inspiration from reading. I love reading. Mm. Um, and I read a whole combination of business books, mentoring books, mere personal development books. And there's just so much out there. You know, something like... Um, uh, oh God, an old classic. I mean, there's all the law of attraction and secret and all those kind of things. But there's the there's a good book actually. I don't know if you've read it, Pete, called The Power of Now. Mm-hmm. Um, got it. Eckhart Tolle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, again, that's simple. There's two there's two main takeouts for me from that book. One is about enjoy the ride, enjoy the now, which is what we were talking about earlier, which I'm not very good at doing. I've got to be better at that. Um, And the other one is that just if you're in any situation, it does not matter what the situation is. could be personal, could be business, could be career, anything. You only ever have three choices. That's it. There are only ever three choices. One is you try and change the situation. Two is you can't change it, you get out. Or the third is, if you can't get out or you don't want to get out and you can't change it, then you have to accept it. But don't keep moaning about it. <laughs> accept it and get on with it. And so I love that simplicity. You know, you see, read all this stuff and you might only take one big thing away. Um, but I try to, you know, I get a lot of inspiration from those kind of things. So podcasts, listening to people, reading. Um, yeah, there's, 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 uh, there's so much to learn, isn't there, from everyone. You know, it's cool. Absolutely. What What is your learning style in general? Oh, gosh, I am a massive scribbler. So I'm very thorough. I'm a, I'm a, I would never, even if I'm reading a book and I hate it, I cannot finish it. I cannot not finish it. I have to finish. That's a geek in me, right? That's me. I'm doing a thorough job. I've been told to read it. I'm doing it, you know. <laughs> And I'll see it through to the end. I never not never not finish a book, even if I'm not reading it. Even fiction, if I'm not even enjoying it, I'll still finish it. So I'm definitely very thorough. But when I, if I read a, a business book or a, a mindset book or personal or whatever it is, like I'm learning something, I will always take notes. Always. I mean, I was I was re- rereading actually at the moment and um, Stephen Covey. Uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm rereading it, right? And I've got it here with me. So I'm there. I have my, my sort of hardback sort of note, notebook, which uh, the first half of it will be all like what I'm going on, doing business and stuff and whatever. But the second, the back half of the book, if I'm reading something, I will always take scribble down notes because one, it sticks in my mind better by doing that. And two, you know, if I'm sat on the tube or whatever, and I'll be looking through my notebook, sometimes I just have a quick flick through and I, and I can see a couple of notes of a book I've read and I think, oh, I have just reminded myself of that. Mm. So that tends to be my, <laughs> my style. But I've definitely got into podcasts a lot more. I'm not saying that because we're on a podcast now and I've got my own. But I've got into podcasts, I would say, probably the last two or three years. Um, and I love the efficiency of it. 
So I'll listen to podcasts. Whereas in the gym, I used to listen to music all the time. Mm. Now, I, nine times out of 10, I will listen to a podcast. So you're training, you've been inspired, you're learning something all at the same time, aren't you? I can't write stuff down. That's the only disadvantage of that. But yeah, so it's a combination of, li- of listening, reading and, and note, note-taking. Do you need silence or are you plenty of noise or what's, what's no, your... No, I need, si- I need silence. Yeah, which is really annoying, actually, because if I'm in the moment, I'm reading something and Chris comes bowling in, making a cup of coffee, I'll be like, off. (laughs) (laughs) So no, I need I need silence. Yeah, definitely. To be in the moment, fully concentrated. I get I do. You know, I get distracted by that. Uh, So no, I, I like to be quiet. And if we were to look at your notebook, are we going to see straight lines? Are we going to see scattered? Are we seeing different colored pens? What are, what do we give us a picture? You are, you are going to see really neat notes. Now my handwriting is a bit of a school, but you know it's going to be small handwriting. I try and get fit as much on the page as possible. I will do a couple of diagrams maybe now and then, you know, something like that. But no, I'm 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 more. I don't know. I guess I replicate what's in the book, but in shortened version of the things that sort of stick out for me. And then I'll always, if there's an action, I'll always put an arrow. If it's something I need to do personally, I'll put a little arrow and then I know that I need to need to put that into action myself. I love that little little index for yourself as to uh, calls for action or questions or queries or whatever. I'm a complete geek, I told you. I mean, I, you know, shamelessly admit... <laughs> listen whatever works exactly. uh, talk to me about role models okay yeah i mean again massively important i you know i'm a massive believer that role models make all the difference um you know you think about it, my early role models my parents right because they're you know probably for most people mm. um and i think i think role models mentors coaches you know that they do different things but uh, all really critical and i think with role models um in particular if you feel like you're in a minority group or a situation where there's not many people that look like you that are in a position that you would like to get to role models can really give you the confidence, the reassurance. And if you've got someone where you've got a great relationship with that person, it's not just that you can visually see them and a sort of a, you know, a casual role model without a relationship. If you can engage with those kind of people, those role models can very easily turn into mentors, can't they? Or into coaches. Um, And that's always really helped me. And it's not always women, you know, it's often, it's often men, you know, it's whoever resonates with you. But if you can sort of surround yourself with the right people, and I know we all talk about this a lot, but it does make a massive difference. And to be inspired, I mean, I interviewed for the first interview I did on my podcast, I interviewed a lady called Chris Brown, OBE. Chris Brown was the COO of EasyJet. She was the MD of the airline at TUI. We've known each other since, gosh, 2006 when we worked together and she's become a great friend. But my God, I admire that woman so much, you know, for what she's achieved to come from, she comes from Straban actually, which you'll, you'll, you'll know very well. She, she said to me, God, it's the most heavenly bond. It's just she grew up there during the troubles, one of seven kids, incredibly, incredibly poor family and difficult situation. And she knew that she had to, the only way she was going to get out of that was by educating, by education. And then, she, you know, to what she achieved in aviation, which is a very male-dominated sector, to be a woman, a woman running an airline, you know, I mean, unheard of. You know, so I personally, even though we're 
you know, we're sort of, we were colleagues and we, we're now friends um, to see what she's achieved and how she's approached it and the respect that she has and how she'd negotiate with the pilots, with Balpa, which is a very difficult thing to do on, on you know, whole trade relations stuff and to be such an iconic but very true to her values and, her, and herself. She's a fantastic role model for me. You know, and I, I, I take a lot from, from, from what Chris has achieved and what therefore I has helped me with my career. So I think examples like that are, are amazing, aren't they? But role models come in all shapes and forms. There is no one size fits all. It's whatever resonates with you, I think. And, and in your career, have you, have you um, followed, you know, have you used mentors? You know, I know obviously you, you've sort of almost come a full circle now and you are a mentor. But yeah, is that yeah. something that's been active through your career? Yeah, massive, massive mentors and coaches, actually. I mean, they do different things, but right? mm. coaches that is a trained professional coach. Uh, mentors is much more around you're learning from someone from their sort of life and business experience, really. They've maybe trod a similar path to you. So they do different things. But yeah, I, I have at quite a few points of my career. I would say um, particular points where I've either, I've been at a point of transition um you know where i i'll give you an example actually so when i was at tui and i got promoted to become the managing director of the emerging markets and at that point i was then my reporting line changed so i was reporting into the group ceo peter long who was the obviously top of the tree and jackie simmons who was the hr director at the time she said to me yeah it's great you've got the promotion um peter can be quite tricky you know, and he's, he's quite an alpha male, you know, as a sort of a gen, generation, you know, Peter's probably, gosh, he must be in his 70s now, you know, so he was mm. sort of 20 years, 20 years, 15, 20 years older than me and quite a traditional alpha male. I mean, amazing guy, actually, loved working for him. But she said to me, you know, I think it would be great for you to have a coach at this point because at this particular juncture, and I'd had, you know, in previous times, but that point was, was quite important because I was now, I was the MD, I was on the board. Mm. I was reporting into the group CEO. I had a big international business with multiple different businesses, different cultures, a big team to manage. So it was a, it was quite a, a jump, um, and that helped me. That definitely helped me transition. Uh, and there's been other points in my career. You know, at the moment, you know, I'm, we're being mentored by Rob Moore and Mark Homer, as you know, for our property business. So totally different space, totally different point in our journey and career and business life. Hugely helpful, hugely mm. helpful to have to have that. So yeah, and, and as I say, I mentor people now. I mean, I've mentored people for a long time, but I mentor them in a more formal capacity now, and and I love it. I you know, as a mentor, I love being able to genuinely help that person and see them flourish and see. There's nothing nicer than seeing, you know, someone really really live their dreams and and get help them with getting rid of those blockers or whatever it might be. But it's definitely made a massive difference to me. So anyone that's um, in a situation where they're either transitioning or they really want to progress, or maybe they're just sort of having a bit of a wobble, um, you know, which can happen, can't it? You know, we all have those every now and then. Uh, I think to get yourself a mentor or a coach um, and pick someone that chemistry is good because that's, you know, that has to be the fundamental. Uh, but it, will, it can transform think your life and your business or your career or whatever yeah definitely and then also you know I mean I've had lots of informal mentors you know one of my old bosses when I first started um going into the emerging markets my old boss Richard Prosser 
he approached me and said, hey, listen, Jeanette, I'd been the product director at First Choice, so I'd, I'd had a big functional kind of role. Mm-hmm. And um, Tui had decided, Tui had merged with First Choice, two of the big companies, travel companies. And Richard approached me and said, how do you fancy? We're going into the emerging markets. The first market is Russia. How do you fancy going to Russia, buying some businesses, running them, and just sorting it all out? Bit left field. I was like, oh, right, okay, yeah, well, you know, we'll give it a go. Why not? <laughs> Hopefully no one's going to die here. I'm just doing the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> and that was such a pivotal point in my, again, it was a real pivotal moment in my career because it totally pushed me out of my comfort zone. You know, I'd never done any corporate finance, mergers and acquisitions, etc. Um, and but but the point being that at that point, Richard was my boss, you know, and I had huge respect for him and really enjoyed working with him. But he he saw something in me that I probably didn't see in myself at the time. And he, you know, approached me for that role. I did the role. I, I then ultimately, when he left the organization, I got, you know, I got promoted to his job. So he was such a, an instrumental person. And now he's become a mentor to me. You know, I have so much respect for Richard and he's helped me in so many ways. It's not a formal mentoring relationship. He's, he's an old boss, old, but, you know, an ex-boss. Um, he's, he's almost become a friend, I would say, now over the, you know, I'm talking 15 years, yeah, 15 years, no, probably 10 years later after the event of all of this. And um, yeah, I just, it's great. So mentors can come in all shapes and forms, really, I think. But some of them are long relationships, some of them are short, you know, but definitely massive. How, how does somebody get the best out of you then? Um, for me, I, I like to have the support, you know, and, and someone there with my back, but I do like to get on with stuff. You know, if someone's going to micromanage me, that drives me a bit crazy because I I think you get to a certain point where, you know, if you're in a certain position, you're there because you actually can do the job, I think. Um, So what I really relish is being having a a bit of a a direction and a shared vision as to where we're heading. You know, I'll always want to make sure we've got that clear and then give me give me the reins and but always be there when I need to maybe run something by you because I won't go all the time. Do you know what I mean? I won't be going back and saying, oh, I'm not sure about this, that, and the other. I'm very confident making the decisions that I need to make. But equally, if so if I am coming back to ask for some support or to bounce something around, it's because I, I feel I need to, but that won't be the norm. You know, that, that's sort of when it's important and, and is necessary. So I think for me having that freedom and flexibility to get on and run the run the team and run you know run the business is important but at the same time know that you've got someone there that's supporting you has got your back um when you need to run things by or just bounce some ideas around that i really enjoy um and that you know i quite like to have you know like all of us it probably comes back to to my childhood of wanting to be liked and approved of you know i do quite like getting positive feedback i don't Mm. need it all the time you know, because I think you you have the positive feedback because you're in a certain position in the first place and you're, you're being paid whatever you're being paid. You know, you're remunerated. That's the, that's the recognition, actually. That's the thanks. But it is quite nice for me every now and then to someone to say, oh, yeah, you've done a good job there, Jeanette. I really appreciate that, you know. And I don't mind being called out if they think, you know, I'm very happy equally to be, you know, someone to say, oh, actually, you could have done that better. I'm good with that as well. Yeah. How is your ego? 
think it used to be a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think when I, I think when you're younger, um, and certainly maybe this partly comes from the corporate as well. You know, that, that you're normally defined by your seniority, role, the brand size of your P&L, how much revenue you're bringing in, how big's the team, all that kind of stuff. So I would say when I was younger, in my sort of 30s, probably even early 40s, I was much more ego-driven around some of that stuff. Um, now I'd say I'm more measured. I think I, I'm more comfortable in my own shoes. I've got to a point in my life and career where I don't actually have to prove anything to anyone. You know, I've, 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 I've got to the top of my game in, in the travel industry. Could I have gone further? Yes, of course, I could have gone to, you know, into bigger businesses, et cetera. You can always go further, can't you? But I feel really pleased with where I got to and my, you know, the level I've got to. So now I, I, I don't need that sort of external recognition as much. Mm. I'm much more comfortable um, in my own shoes because I don't feel I've got this, anything to prove to anyone. But it was interesting because when I came out of the corporate world, my, at that time, I thought I would go and do another CEO role of a corporate travel business. And there were things, you know, roles were coming my way. And, and some of them, I just, I, I, there was a couple where I nearly took them, I nearly took the role. But deep down in my heart, I just thought, it's not quite, it's not quite the right thing to do, mm. but I had to push my ego to one side because I guess maybe at that point I was worried about, well, what's everyone going to say? Where's Jeanette going to turn up next? Oh, my God, she's left Saga. Which business is she going to go and run? And, and I was probably more concerned in that first half of that year of 2018, you know, thinking about what everyone else is thinking. And the reality is no one cares. No one gives a shit. You're really not that important. <laughs> you know, seriously. So you do have to kind of get over yourself a bit and go, you know, the, you know, the queen is dead. Long live the queen. That, that, that's how it is in reality, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it doesn't take away all of the good stuff you've done. Um, but you, it, is, it is a bit like that. Uh, and I think uh, you have to, yeah, put your ego to one side. So I've, I've got better at it, Pete, but I would say I was probably quite ego-driven. Not in a materialistic way, never in a sort of, oh, the car I drive or, hmm. you know, I like my handbags, don't get me wrong, but I was never sort of overly ostentatious and, and materialistic and using material things to prove that I was doing all right in life. That was never my bag. It was more around the position and the impact I was making. I think that's because I always want to make a mark, you know, sure. and leave an impact. That's probably what's driven. But, yeah, ego, ego can, um, can be a bit of a bit of a terrorist can't it sometimes it is interesting because you mentioned ryan panic there from super genius you know mm. that that's that's a it's a very clever i suppose is maybe the right word to put it you know it's a clever workshop and format to actually sort of talk to your chimp and uh yeah. well I, I say chimp i mean we, we all have different yeah. views on it to the uh what do you call it steve peters the, the chimp paradox i find particularly useful yes. analogy yeah <laughs> you know. definitely and I think, I think also it probably comes from um, an adjustment. If you spend more time in the corporate world where it is more structured and it is more hierarchical and you are, there is much more um, emphasis on job titles, progression, promotion, you know, that, that's the way it is. I think if you come from that background, that's mainly it's what you know more of. If you started out life as an entrepreneur, you're probably measuring your success in different ways. You mm. probably don't care so much about 
job title. It's more around how much money you've made. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so I think it's 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 just a different a different world, really. But yeah, you definitely need to. We don't have to. I mean, but it can it can blow you off track. I think if you're overly overly concerned about what everyone else is thinking about you and your ego, what really matters is what's inside and what do you people that are close to you, your loved ones, think about you. That's that's the main thing, isn't it? Really. Did you? I mean, through all that, did you were you able to balance sort of personal uh, development and growth with the business development growth because obviously in the corporate world it is all-encompassing I mean it, it takes your life your blood your soul the whole thing which is great I've, I've had 10 years in the corporate world in London and yeah I wouldn't change it for the world I also wouldn't go back for the world so <laughs> it's 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 both it's it's both sides of it and I'm you know I'm kind of curious how you balance yeah, I mean, I, I think there was de- there's definitely an emphasis on the business um, more than the personal development and personal life, actually, mm. as well, not just personal development, you know, because in particular, you know, the roles that I've done, I've always been away a lot. And, and you know, that does take quite a sacrifice in terms of your personal, personal situations, relationships with partners and family and what have you. But I'd say, yeah, so definitely more focused on the business. And I think that also comes with a bit of maturity because as you get a little bit older and a bit more sort of long in the tooth, you do realise that even if you're very well respected with what you do and you're doing a good job and the business is doing well, all of a sudden there can be a change and sometimes your face doesn't fit anymore. You know, and, and, and so you, you are, it's not that you're a number as such, but I've seen a lot where people have absolutely given their all for the business. And then, you know, CEOs changed or recession has come along and all of a sudden, 30 years, 40 years in a business and they're gone. They're out. And then they're totally lost. Yeah. Totally lost. And the damage to their ego, self-worth, self-belief, all of these things because they've just put so much in and sacrificed everything else that then they're like, they're a bit screwed, really. You know, so I think as, as you get a bit more wiser to it, it's not that you don't give your all, you know, and do a good job, but I think you're much more realistic and measured about the role that you play. And yes, do the right thing for the business, but also make sure that it's doing the right thing for you as an individual and for your family. So, you know, you don't work for the company, you actually work for yourself, mm. family your loved ones yes you're employed by the business but it's different and i think if you can have that sort of more pragmatic view of the world one you you do make sure you do continue to to develop yourself um but at the same time when something changes you know you're much more equipped to deal with the change and you know to be much more uh well networked externally for example um, so I, I, I think for me, yeah, I definitely have an emphasis on the business, but because I used to do a lot of long haul flying, you know, I had lots of time in the air and this was before you got Wi-Fi on, on flights really and stuff. So it was quite, it was the perfect time. It was quite self-indulgent, just time for me. So I would do a lot of reading, you know, of course I'd do some work and then I'd watch a film and I might have a glass of wine and, you know, then I'd do some reading and then I'd, you get into quite a habit of when you're going to sleep and all, you know, because yeah. you're you manage your jet lag, you get into your little routine, you get 12-hour flight to Beijing, you know, I'd know what I was going to do on that 12 hours. So I guess I was quite lucky because I had that time, 
um, in a way. So obviously sacrifice sleep, right? Um, but, but I did do quite a lot of self-development. And then the TUI in particular, well, TUI and Saga, the last two big corporates I was in, they were, quite, they were very good at investing in the senior leadership team. So, you know, I, the, the program I was explaining to you before, you know, about going over to Thailand, I mean, that was all funded by TUI. You know, that was such a great experience. You know, I, I went to the, um, the Institute of Management Development at Lausanne, you know, and did, did two, two no, three weeks of residential, which is a really expensive thing to do. Mm-hmm development so it you know it's not all that you don't do stuff the corporate can be really supportive and, and certainly to it to he was um but yeah i think it's more sometimes a sacrifice you make for your personal life and you've got to watch out for that a little bit uh when you're in those really fast roles that just totally take everything <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's getting, it's, it is getting that healthy balance which sometimes you get sometimes you don't right <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's coming back to, you know, obviously we touched on the power of now. I think it's about being fully present in whichever moment you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I see this quite a lot with working mums actually as well, where, the, you know, they've got, they've got big careers. I mean, I'm full of admiration for working mums. I really am. But sometimes what can happen is when they're in work, they're kind of worried about, oh, my God, I'm, being a, I'm not being a good mother. You know, I've got to stay an extra hour or whatever. Mm. And then when they're at home, they're thinking, oh, shit, I've not finished that report. And, you know, so that they, they kind of beat themselves up about trying to get this perfect balance. And it doesn't really exist, does it? So I, I think there's something about trying to compartmentalise your time. You know, I always fiercely protected my weekends you know, there would be the odd thing. I mean, in travel, things can happen. You know, I mean, I was there dealing with 9-11 when that happened. I had aircraft all over the world, et cetera. And I had to get people back. And are my customers safe? Are they, are they a casualty? You know, you know, I've dealt with repatriations of hurricanes, shootings, all sorts of stuff. So there were things that will happen, which mean, obviously, you just have to jump on it, right? Sure. Uh, but generally, I would always protect my weekends uh, because I knew I gave so much during the week that... I needed two days, really, as much mm. as at least one day where it was dedicated to Chris and I or to my family or whatever. So I think if you can try and compartmentalise like that, even if you work very long, long days, find that time that's just for you or for you and your family. Yeah. What, what sort of mantra do you work to? Or do you... Um, I think I'd probably work hard, play hard is, is, is right for me, and that's probably mm. Something that's sort of been throughout my life. I do tend to burn the candle both ends. I need a bit more sleep now. Well, I tend to get up early. I go to bed early and I get up early. But um, yeah, I think what I think nothing comes for nothing in this life. You have to put the effort in, and it's probably not work hard. I mean, that's the it's probably work smart, isn't it? But you get the general gist. You know, I do believe that you you know if you're going to make things happen have to take action you know and that's sometimes people talk a great talk but they never actually take the action so you have to work hard but enjoy it as well you know Mm. and and value and this might come from you know i think when you when you when you lose loved ones as well it's a real wake-up call you know i mean my dad passed away eight years ago and you know it was such a shock he was so healthy and stuff and it was a massive shock and it's not a day goes by but definitely Things like that definitely make you reassess. You know, as I say, mm. my friend Jane, she passed away from motor neuron disease two years, just about a year and a half ago. And she, you know, she was 46, she left two kids. You know, when you think, wow, I mean, that is just bloody unlucky. You know, there's mm. nothing she, she could have done. But my God, 
does that make you think differently? Does that make you realise that actually what's important in life? So I think I think for me, yeah, work hard, play hard. I would say. Mm. Was your your dad's passing? Was that unexpected? Yeah, he had a stroke. Yeah, a really, really mm. bad stroke, really severe. And and you know, he was so fit. I and mean, my dad, you know, he was gosh, he was seventy nine when he had his stroke. And he was so healthy, Pete. He was still working. He was a plumber. He was, you know, up the ladders, decorating a neighbor's house outside. You know, he was so fit and healthy. Um, so, of course, you know, I, was, I look back and think, gosh, wasn't I lucky to have had my dad all those years? You know, of course I was, and the happy memories and all of the rest of it. But it just still felt very unfair because he just, you know, it was one of those. It's just a horrible, it was a horrible year. You know, he was very... Uh, incapacitated couldn't speak you know, mm. couldn't really move and it was just a, a living death for him and, and also awful for all of us you know so yeah when things like that happen it definitely makes you think mm, what's important here life is short none of us know how long we're gonna have so you know live your dreams don't have any regrets you know and and, and just really try and enjoy every moment i'll be a bit philosophical aren't we here but I do, I do firmly believe that. I think when you're younger, you don't think of things in that. It's not about all doom and gloom and all morbid, but it is a bit of a, it's a bit of a reality check. And also, I think when you get to, you know, we talked about being in our forty. Well, I'm not sure how you are, how old you are, Pete, but um, you look younger than me, kid. <laughs> I am. I'm just just turned forty, so yeah. Well, you're just in the forty club. Good yeah. for you. Um, but no, seriously, when you sort of get into that sort of 40s, 50s, I think that is one of the reasons why you, you, you are aware of your mortality. It's not all like, oh, God, I'm going to die tomorrow or anything like that. But you're definitely aware that, you know, you might have another 20 years, you might have another 30 years. Yeah. But you ain't got, you probably haven't got 50 years, mm. you know. <laughs> so if you want to do something, do it now. You know, don't waste time. Make every moment count, you know. And, um, and, and you've still got the energy. Mm. I think right. it's, uh, I, my take has been it's been it's an incredibly powerful time uh, for me. My sort mm. of my break point was at thirty seven and a half, and that was just you know losing a business and just three or four things colliding, you know, and mm. great overwhelm. From great overwhelm came great change for me, you know, and it's yeah, that's. But I'm finding that's a common entity where you kind of it also is a point when you get to. You know, you, you know, parents unfortunately are naturally going to pass at that time just mm. due to the age. Mm. But also, it's kind of like better off in terms of what you know people thought of you as a child, other people's opinions, where you suddenly shake it all off and go, on, "I'm close enough to the other side." You know, you're, you're at a midpoint, and you yeah. say, "Right, um, where am I at now?" And what everyone else thinks of me is none of my business, and I don't care, and I want to do what I want to do. And it's beautifully freeing, I found anyway. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's totally liberating. And it comes, you know, it comes back a bit to what you were saying before around ego, wasn't it? And, you know, I was saying, I think sometimes we worry too much about what other people mm. think of us. And the reality is, as you say, it's, it's no one else, it's not your business what anyone else thinks about you, is it? You know, so don't, and don't sweat the small things. I think when you're young, mm. you get help about things, you know, you might be a little bit, something happens at work, and oh God, you know, you're really more emotional mm. about it. Whereas I think when you get a bit older, you kind of think, well, I'll pick my battles, you know, I'll pick the things, or not necessarily in an aggressive way, but I'll pick the things yeah. that I'm going to focus energy time on and get upset about maybe. But there's, there's quite a lot of stuff in it. You know what? Does it really matter in the whole scheme? Just 
just let it go. You know, just, honestly, the only person that's going to actually lose is yourself by getting yeah. all, you know, emotional about it. So I think we do become a lot more pragmatic. Look at us, how wise we are, Pete. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. It's something there with, with, you know, for me, talking, and that's the whole benefit of the podcast, is speaking to so many people, and you do get to be very wise because people have mm-hmm. gone through whatever journey they've gone through. Um, but the closer you live to your values is what I find is the common theme. You know, that when yeah. you're doing what you do, you know, the old expression, you, you know, if you do what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Again, cliched, but it is true and that it's it's the path of least resistance because you love it, you do it, you cherish it and you and you get on. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so it's it's amazing. And I think there's an age thing and I think it's an education thing that actually you Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a lovely place to be and, and you know, even when you're you know, you're talking about your own passions, it's you know, it's 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 great. You know, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why can't it be us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what what do you see in the horizon for you? What's what's coming up that's floats your boat? Well, I think for me, it's about sort of growing the businesses, the three businesses I've got, you know, because obviously, you know, the property business is still relatively new for us. Um, so there's a lot to do there. We've got a really clear plan. As, as I said earlier, before we started recording, the shape of it is going to evolve, you know, because plan's great isn't it but it never always plays out exactly right but the end goal i'm really confident we'll get to so that's about growing the growing the property business to create a significant asset base for ourselves and, and the legacy piece and um, on the mentoring side of things yeah i want to reach more people help more people so again i'm quite specific about the clients that i work with because i think you know it needs to be um right match um mm-hmm. so, so you know i don't i don't just take on anyone you know it's got to be right on both sides so that's great but to do more of that ultimately you know my long-term goal is to really help as many people as possible fulfill their potential in whatever way and i guess some of that is i've not thought of it in this way but even having a podcast and, and having a forum and a, and a platform to inspire people i think is great um mm-hmm. You know, and, and yeah, there's the charitable aspect of, of leaving an imprint in this world and, and helping women in particular achieve their potential. So longer term, I would like to be, I suppose, known as being more of a well-rounded businesswoman that's done a lot of good in the world for other mm. people. I mean, ultimately, I, you know, I, I, want, I want people to, to think that, oh, yeah, Jeanette, she was a good egg and she really helped me. She made a difference in my life and, and kind of helped me push on to the next level um, or gave me confidence and support. Uh, and obviously my nieces and nephews will do very well out of the property side of things when I depart this planet, um, unless I spend it all <laughs> before then. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's it. More of the same, but but kind of leave more of a global impact, mm-hmm. which I guess means me transitioning to become more of a global brand in a way you know longer term not in an egotistical way but just in terms of bigger reach yeah no it's um it's always interesting you know with people because different schools of thoughts some people say if you want to you know if you want to help people become rich you know the richer you are the more you can help and it's it's absolutely it's a, it can be contrary to sort of public perception you know mm-hmm. um, people go no no you should help now it's like well actually no like anything the best thing i can do is compound my growth and and you know it, it just depends on your on your thought but just circling back a bit i mean you talked about potential i mean where are you at in terms of reaching yours 
Oh, I've got more to more to give, more to get to for sure. But I'll always will have. I'll never, I'll, I'll never. Even if if if, you, if we have this conversation, I'm a doddering old lady in my nineties. You'll probably say, "Have you reached your potential?" I'll say, "No, I've still got some to do." Uh, <laughs> um, listen, I think I, I feel very lucky and privileged to have had the life and business experience that I've had because that's in your locker, isn't it? You know, that stays with you, and it and it's well grounded of years of experience mistakes learning you know all the stuff that I've done so that is a given that's kind of there in my locker but I think for me to I'm shifting into a different space you know now to where I am is much more entrepreneurial um, and it's much more around how can I apply all of that hard-earned knowledge and experience in the corporate more structured world to the world I'm in now, because I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. I think there's a great combination that you can bring, I can bring to our businesses. Um, so for me, it's probably around, you know, becoming more entrepreneurial, maybe having more, adding some extra businesses. I'd love to write a book, a couple of books. I know I've got a couple of books in me, um, you know, and that's probably the, the, the brand piece. So I'm shifting into new territories. I mean, if you'd asked me three months ago, would I have been doing, well, four months ago, would I have my own podcast? I'd have laughed. I wasn't planning on doing that. You know, I mean, that's all new. I'm learning how to be be an interviewer. Yeah, of course, that's a new skill, isn't it? You know, so I, yeah, no, I've not not yet reached my potential, Pete. Loads more to come, but I think it's in the entrepreneurial space. It's probably in the mentoring, helping, and and also on the business side because you know, let's face it, all industries are going to go through an absolute terrible time. Let's face it, over the next kind of four or five years, it's going to be tough. And I think you need strong business leaders that have been through very difficult scenarios, you know. And so for me, I think to to reshape the industry that I know, the travel industry, into what the future industry is going to be, I'll, I'll be playing a key role in that as well. Yeah. So what's your book going to be about? I think it will be. I think there's a few in there. I think there's one about probably being a woman in business, actually, and how to sort of navigate <laughs> navigate through that. Um, so I think that's one. But then I think there's there's a more general one, which is which is about your potential around mindset and and sort of the the, the tricks and tools that you can put in place to, to remove any blockers and and, uh, and really reach for the moon. Mm. You know, stars but reach for the moon so i think there's probably a couple of a couple of angles you know as i say it's just an nascent idea at the moment but um you never know it will happen because i've said it now yeah <laughs> that's it small acorns become big trees you know that's it uh, yeah. That's all about. yeah what's a what's a guilty pleasure for you oh guilty pleasure hmm well, that's a good question i don't know actually oh i tell you what it is mm, i've got one Dolly Parton. Right. <laughs> Music, right? The, like, not the cool thing to like Dolly Parton, a bit of country, but my God, I love that woman. If, I, if I, ever I have a, a girl's night or something, we always stick a bit of Dolly on. <laughs> I've seen her in concert a few times. Because what I love about her right, is she is unapologetically herself, right? So mm. you have Sounds a bit strange when you think about Dolly Parton. She's got the wig and the makeup, and she's had so much work done. You think, my God, she's just this plastic Barbie. But my God, she's a fierce, absolutely fierce businesswoman. Very, very smart. Very, very wealthy. She plays very well to her kind of, you know, bit of a dumb blonde sort of image that she puts out there. But do not be fooled. 
it's great fun and the music's just like a laugh isn't it you know so but it's not the kind of thing that you'd be like it's not the sort of music i normally like i'm into like heavy rock bands you know like a bit of acdc you know a bit of of red hot chili peppers you know that's more my bag um not dolly so that's my guilty pleasure on the music front wow i like it i like it what about a hidden talent that we don't know about hidden talent oh god i've got any any hidden talents uh oh i'm struggling with that i am struggling oh i know i'm quite a good knitter right (laughs) what's what's your go-to on knitting I haven't knitted for years, but I have made a couple of cardigans, a couple of jumpers over the years, yes, which was taught by my mum, actually. My mum taught me how to knit. But yeah, I'm probably a bit rusty now, but you wouldn't put me down as a knitter. I'm not your typical sort of knitting kind of image. (laughs) Oh, definitely. And leisure and pleasure. (laughs) Leisure and pleasure? What do you mean Mm. in terms of what I like to do? Yeah. Um, sport is a big thing, actually, for, for me. Not in terms of team sports, but more health and fitness and well-being. So if I don't train every day, I, I, not, I don't feel good. You know, I'll do some running or yoga or I'll be in the gym or spinning or cycling. So, so that is definitely it. That's just a core part of my life, if you like. So, mm. so definitely that. Um, I've really loved, I've got a, a renewed passion for scuba diving over the last few years. So I got my paddy and my advanced paddy, gosh, but I don't know, about 15 years ago. And then I had a, a bad experience. I had a break of about eight years, but I've got back into diving now. So we've had a couple of really cool, we were diving in the Maldives actually in March just before COVID. And then I did a month in the Philippines diving, all wreck diving and stuff. So getting a bit more adventurous on the diving. So I'm about, I'm at about 55 dives now. And I want to get, you know, I want to get north of 100 because then I'll go back to the Galapagos and dive in the Galapagos where the currents are really strong. So we, we, we were in the Galapagos when we went traveling around South America, but we didn't dive because I wasn't, didn't feel confident enough. So that is something. Yeah, but just, you know, I, I like, I, I love cuddling up on the sofa with Chris with a good movie bottle of reds you know that kind of thing i love that i also enjoy going out with friends and family you know so i'm i'm a typical gemini actually i, I there's two sides to that not in a two-faced way but i think i just uh I, I can see i can see the enjoyment in both sides of a night in and a night out you know <laughs> what's your go-to on the wine and the movie oh well so the wine would probably be a Rioja. No, actually a Malbec. Malbec used to be a Rioja. I'd probably go for Malbec now. Mm-hmm. In particular, having been to Mendoza in Argentina, which is wonderful, by the way. Uh, so yeah, probably Malbec, I'd say. And in terms of film, it'd be along the lines of a chick flick. It would probably be mm-hmm. <laughs> something like either Eat, Pray, Love. It's a great mm-hmm. film. Or Love Actually. I love, oh God, I must have seen those films. Or Notting Hill, that kind of thing. If I was, or Sex in the City, that's also good. So, you know, I'd be in that genre of just, you know, silly, you know, trash, really. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> love it. And where, for creativity and flow, what, what's, your, what's your sort of mechanism for that? Uh, I like to do, I'd be cram at my creative best in the morning, early, okay. early, mm. early. So, you know, I tend to be up, 
depends if I'm, I'm not while I'm here particularly but generally if I'm at home I'll be up at sort of five six I'm, I am a genuine early bird and I love that quiet time in the morning you know when before the world's woken up and you know you still got dew on the grass and all that I really find that um very peaceful it gives me great headspace and it also I try and do my most my most important work then to be honest and I like to exercise in the morning as well so my mornings tend to be quite full quite early and quite full um, and then in the afternoons I'll, I'll normally be focused more on phone calls or admin type stuff but I'll have done most of my big work if you like and big thinking um, you know, probably by about 11 something like that midday latest yeah so that's my best wow and in terms of favourite meal then favorite meal oh it's going to be pasta i know i'm a bit of a carb freak i know you shouldn't be but yeah yeah Mm. i'd say probably italian chris does a great mediterranean chicken which is delicious with tagliatelle so that's 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 pretty cool but yeah indian yeah either either italian or indian i spent a lot of time in india so fish curry rice and dal be up there as well oh wow love it you're making me hungry now A couple of last questions, really. What's something that you're super proud of? I'm something or someone. Something. something. So whatever way you want to choose the question. Okay. I'm, no, I'm really, su- I am super proud of, I think I'm definitely super proud of what I've achieved in my career. Uh, not just because I fulfilled my own dreams, if you like, and potential, but also because even now, years later, I still get messages of people who were on my team or that I helped through that period that say, say to me, you really made a difference to me. Either I was a role model for them or I, I helped them out or I you know, gave them some advice. So I think the, in terms of the impact and, and you know, if you think from where I came from, you know, in my early life to becoming the CEO, mm. I think that's probably that journey was 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 one enjoyable, but something that I rightly should rightly should feel proud of, to be honest. And then you 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 had that in two parts. What was the other part? Oh, so the first one was around me personally in terms yeah. of what I achieved and where I got to, and then the second part is the fact that I feel I have genuinely helped hundreds of people right. with their careers and, and get them into hmm. better places. And even now I, I still get messages of people saying, you know, hmm. I worked with Jeanette back in 1995 and, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's lovely, beautiful. isn't it? It's nice. Yeah. So tell me, what does fire in the belly mean to you then? What, what is your fire in the belly specifically? My fire in the belly is it's all about making sure you've got no regrets, making sure I have no regrets and that I am absolutely living up to my potential. And that shifts, that bar shifts. You know, you don't just get there and go, I'm done. Well, I don't anyway. Um, so for me, fire in the belly is, is absolutely living your dreams, taking the action, no regrets, giving it a go and leaving an impact, a positive impact on this world and helping other people. For me, it's, it's all wrapped up into that. But be true to yourself, you know. Don't, no one's going to do it for you. This is, your, this is my journey, my life. So make it count because it's short. 
I love that. I love that saying from your parents. It was, you know, let's make great memories, which things yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful mantra. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jeanette, how can people follow you, reach out to you, track you down, hunt you down, listen to you? <laughs> everywhere, really. Everywhere, Pete. So uh, I'm on social media. So you'll find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And I've got a YouTube channel, Jeanette Limputs, where um, all my videos and stuff are saved. I've got the podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant Podcast. And you'll find that on all the usual platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I have a website as well, www.JeanetteLinfootsAssociates.com. So yeah, you can you can find me anywhere. Feel free to reach out, message me, have a chat. All great. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you for being so open and sharing. It's it's uh, it's great to hear it, and so many exciting things ahead. So thank you. Yeah. No, thank you, Pete. It's been wonderful. <laughs>